know 92% of people failed to keep their New Year's resolutions in 2014? This is according to a report of the University of Scranton Journal of Psychology. 92% of people didn't make it. Now, we're talking significant New Year's resolutions. 25% of the people gone by week one. 36% of the people done by February. More than half out by June. 92% out by the end of December. So 8%. That's, that's bad. You know, I think it shows us lots of things. One thing, it's hard to make significant changes. Hard to make significant changes. Now, I came across a couple articles. Forgive me if I keep adjusting it here. Uh, came across a couple articles that give some advice on how to make changes. One article is in the Huffington Post, and it says, Five Secrets to Behavior Change. I like secrets. I like behavior change. Here's what they said. Number one, check our goals. Number two, see the gray. Number three, rework our plan. Number four, lead us not into temptations. And fifth and final, be kind, in parentheses, to ourselves. So that's the Huffington Post's advice. There's another one from Forbes, Forbes Forbes.com. They analyzed and talked and thought about, all right, this 8% of people, what are they doing that they're making these changes? What can we do to be like the 8%? Well, here's what they said. They said, keep it simple, make it tangible, make it obvious, and keep believing you can do it. We've been in an Old Testament series for the last few weeks, the Old Testament and nine people. And tonight we are looking at Rahab. If you know anything about Rahab, she's a story of a woman who made a big change. I mean, a big, a big change. She went, get this, she went from being a pagan prostitute on the wrong side of a fight to becoming the wife of a son of a prince and ultimately an ancestor of Jesus. That's pretty impressive. You know, I don't know about you, I'd like to have something like that written on my tombstone. Now, here's what I think. I think if, we're, if Rahab were alive today, she would be a star. She'd have lots of Twitter followers, more Facebook friends than me, that's for sure. And she would be on every single cable show, starting with, you know who? Oprah, that's right, the queen, Queen Oprah. They'd get a stadium of 100,000 people. They'd have already given away like eight gifts to every person there. They would have put Rahab right there, put a camera in her face, put a mic right up to her mouth, and Oprah would have said, Girl, how did you do it? That's my Oprah. How did you do it? Well, you know, if, if Rahab would have answered the question, how did she do it, I don't think it would have lived up to the Forbes plan. It wasn't simple. It wasn't tangible. It wasn't obvious. I don't think it would have lived up to the Huffington Post plan. She couldn't have checked her goals. She couldn't have reworked her plan. But you know what? I think Rahab, I think she would have said something before that. She would have said, Oprah, that's an okay question, but you're missing the most important question. You're missing the most important question. Why did I change? Why did I change? Let's start our story in Joshua 2, verse 1. This is what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and she lodged there. Okay, so why are the spies going into the land? Well, Israel 
was liberated from slavery in Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments. God tells Moses, you're going north. You're going to the promised land, the land of the Canaanites. So Israel goes north, and they go on the east side of the Jordan. They're camped out there. And before Joshua takes the people in, he sends two guys, two spies, to go check out Jericho. Now, they've got to remain secret. This is like Mission Impossible spy movie stuff. They cannot be found out. And if you can't be found out, you go to a CD place. You go to a creepy place. You go to a place where nobody wants to found out, be found out. And that's a brothel. That's a brothel. So everything's going fine. They're stealthy. They're in this brothel. And then what happens? Verse 2. It was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. So Rahab, all of a sudden, she hears a knock at her door. Turns out, this brothel wasn't so seedy. This brothel wasn't so secretive. You see, there were people camped out there, maybe one person, maybe ten people, who were loyal to the king of Jericho. And think, king, this is just a large city-state, so maybe mayor. The king, the mayor of Jericho. Now, the spies, they probably gave themselves away because they spoke a little differently. Their dialect wasn't the same, and so they heard, they heard these guys speak, and they knew something was up, and they went straight to the king. Now, at this point, Probably a lot of people know about this plan. It's not just the spies, and it's not just Rahab. Who knows? You know, but these informants, these people, they've gone to the king. They've come back with news of how many men. They're knocking on Rahab's door because they know they have treacherous spies in their midst. And not just any spies. These are spies from Israel, the, the people that was just liberated from Egypt, that overcame the Egyptians. If they overcame the Egyptians, well, whoa, what are they going to do to us? So they're fearful. They're scared. They're on their guard. And at this point, the king has put the entire city on alert. All the guards have come in. The SWAT vans are out. you got people in masks. You can't see. they got big old guns. Who knows? Everybody's ready. And they go to Rahab's house to take care of this problem, small problem, and kill him. So their original plan, the spies' original plan of spying out the land in Jericho in secret down the tubes. It's shot. They're going to need some help if this plan's going to work. Beginning of verse 4. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. She hid them. I wonder what these spies' first thought was. Picture the scene. They're out of the way. They're maybe in a dark corner. They don't want to be found out. They're talking quietly, very hushed. And all of a sudden, this woman just does a beeline straight for them. I mean, what are they thinking? Were they skeptical? that she's coming towards them? Did, did they think they'd already been found out? Were they worried that it might be a trap? Is Rahab some sort of informant? Is she going to rat them out if they're honest? Were they thankful? Did they know they were on to something and they were just thankful to have a plan? I don't know. But we do know, in the end, the offer was accepted. Rahab hid the spies. And now the hopes and dreams of the conquest of Israel lie on the small shoulders of a pagan prostitute's conversation with professional mercenary soldiers. Continuing in verse 4, soldiers knocking on the door. She answers the door and says to the soldiers, yes, true, yes, the men, they came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed in the dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Sounds like she doesn't know. Quick, you guys, pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But... 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So Rahab did some pretty quick thinking on her feet. You see, she pretends to be the upright citizen. She kind of does the half-truth. Oh, yes, you know, you're right. You, you got me. You're here. The spies were here, but they left. I don't know where they went, but you guys should go get them because I'm on your side. Big thumbs up. Go, King of Jericho. Go away. But she, she does know. She hid them herself. Okay, so let's stop and just think about this for a second. What just happened? Well, well, there's for sure three things that happened. Number one, it would seem that Rahab just lied. Not just the small lies, but big lies. You know, what do we do with that? There's a lot to say about this point, but for now, it's enough to know that in the Bible, there are a small number of circumstances that is okay to lie. And one of them is in wartime, particularly when an unjust government is requiring truth so that they can murder people. And Rahab protects the identity of the spies to save their lives. So she doesn't need to be forgiven of anything. If anything, she is to be commended for protecting these spies' lives. Secondly, what just happened? Second, she's siding with the losers. By hiding these spies, she has just hitched her wagon to a sinking ship known as Israel. Remember, they're supposed to be secret. Everybody knows. SWAT trucks are out. Everybody's looking around. they got spotlights going all over the place. Why would you side with the losers? Third, in the eyes of her own people, she's committed treason. She's a traitor. She has aided and abetted in the downfall of her own people, and this is a crime punishable by death. Now, we can't miss this. Don't miss this. Think of the courage and the risk that she put herself in. She was willing to turn away from her own king, her own people, to side with the Israelites, whom she's only met two. You know, I I don't know about you. There's lots of questions here. I want to know, who the heck is this? Who the heck is Rahab? Well, a couple things we know about her. She's a woman. Rahab's a woman. And in the ancient world, unfortunately, women were treated very poorly. They were not given respect. Their testimony wasn't even allowed in courts of law. Not only was she a woman, she was a prostitute. She's a prostitute. That means she had sex with men for money. Now, we don't know why she had that job. We don't know how long she had that job. But we do know she's an outcast. She's a nobody. She's a face to be forgotten. I wonder how many times she felt too filthy, too dirty to look someone in the eye when they were talking to her. I wonder how many times people avoided eye contact with her while they're walking down the street. I wonder how many parties she realized she was never invited to. From Israel's perspective, this is an unclean prostitute. Look, they have bigger fish to fry. We are about to conquer a country. We don't have time to think about or care about some low-life, forgettable prostitute. Who cares? We We got stuff to do. Let's go. And yet... This nobody, this face worth forgetting, this filthy prostitute just put her life on the line for two spies from Israel that she never met, that she didn't know. She just indicted herself as a traitor, aiding and abetting in the enemy. Who the heck is this? Better question, Oprah's question she should have asked. Why? Why the heck would she do this? 
there's a literary device in Hebrew narrative called a chiasm. And so it's structured like this. Uh, it's a little bit wavy, but, you know, you, you'll get the point. It goes A, B, C, D, and then the main point, and then D prime, C prime, B prime, A prime. If you think about it, it forms the shape of an X, okay? And that's because chiasm, the root word there is chi. That's a Greek letter that is in the shape of an X. And so a chiasm, it builds towards something. The middle of that X is the main point. And so when an author uses a chiasm, he's taking a megaphone and going, listen up. Here we go. The main point is coming. That's what he's doing. There is a chiasm in Rahab's explanation of why she's risking her life for the spies. So pay attention. Here it comes. Starting in verse 8. Before the men lay down, before the spies lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard... Here comes the main point. We have heard the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? Because the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Why did Rahab hide these spies? Why did she lay her life on the line for the people of Israel in the face of death? Because she believed that the God of Israel was acting in history. She believed that the God of Israel was acting in history. That's the point. That's the why. She heard how he parted the waters. Israel walked through on dry land. Waters collapsed on the Egyptians. She heard how the Lord enabled Israel to defeat those two kings, those two Ammonite kings. This, I mean, it's amazing. And it gets even better. God intended for Rahab to hear about this. Think about this. The Red Sea, hundreds of miles south. This is the ancient world. It traveled north. Exodus 15, verses 15 and 16. This is Moses or this is the song, yeah, the song of Moses after Israel passes through the sea. Here's what he says. Because Israel has crossed the Red Sea and been freed from slavery, all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. News traveled north. In Exodus 23, verse 27, God is telling Moses why Israel will be able to drive out the Canaanites. They're going north. They've got to conquer the land. You can do it. Here's why. I will send my terror before you before Israel, and I will throw you into confusion so that all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. You see, you see what this says? Rahab's story proves that all these things have actually happened. God acted in history. Word of that action spread all the way to Canaan. It went all the way to her front door. It went all the way into her ears, and she heard it, and she believed it. In his book, Jaron Bars, he, he wrote a book called Through His Eyes. This is what he said about Rahab. Her motivation to hide the spies is her newfound faith in the God of Israel. The Lord is the one in whom she has put her trust. She made a choice to believe. She's already a believer. You see, Rahab was once an unclean, unbelieving prostitute, a nobody, a face worth forgetting. But now... Now, 
She's a child of God. She's a daughter of God who's ready to be brought into the people of Israel. See, the change in Rahab's life happened because she heard and believed that God was acting in history. So now what? Well, they're not out of the woods yet. Remember, the spies are still hidden. Guards are out. Everybody's looking for them. But the spies are still there. Well, Rahab makes a request. Here's what she says. She, she, let me summarize it. She basically says she needs some assurances from the spies that when Israel comes through Jericho, because they're in battle mode, this is war, when they come through Jericho and conquer the land, she and her family, they need to be spared. So she asks the spies to make an oath that they will deal kindly with her and they'll deal kindly with her family, whom she's going to invite after they leave. So the spies say, all right, Rahab, we're good. We got you. We will do it, but here's what you have to do for us. Two things. Number one, shh, shh, don't tell anybody where we're at. If this gets out, we will be hunted down like dogs and killed, and the conquest is over. So please, shh, be quiet. Second, verse 18 of chapter 2 says this. It's kind of a weird, weird thing here. Behold, when we come into the land, you, Rahab, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. Scarlet cord. What the heck is a scarlet cord? I don't see too many of those around these days. You know, some have seen this reference to the scarlet cord as a reference to the blood of Jesus. But rather than looking forward in history to the blood of Jesus, I think what makes most sense is if we look backwards. Because you see, the people of Israel at this time, they know there's some sort of person promised in the future. They have no idea who. They have no idea how. But you know what Israel does know? They know the color red from the Passover. You see, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God came to a burning bush, talked to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to liberate you from slavery. You're going to lead the people out of Egypt. Here's what you got to do. You got to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So you know the story. Pharaoh let my people go, no. Pharaoh let my people go, no. Back and forth, back and forth. Plague, no. Plague, no. Maybe, no. Plague, no. All right? Final plague. The death of the firstborn son of everyone in the land, Egypt and Israel. But here's what God tells Israel. God says, look, if you want your firstborn son to be spared, you need to sacrifice a lamb. You need to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and that will let the angel of death know that he will pass over. The blood was the sign. So fast forward, back to Rahab and the spies. The color red is emblazoned on the brain of an Israelite. They know what red means. When they see red, they think Passover. So it makes sense that the spies would give Rahab a scarlet cord to tie to her window. Because when Israel's coming in and they are conquering the land, they see it and they go, oh, wait a minute, red. Red means Passover. Passover means Passover Show mercy. Spare Rahab. That's why they give her the scarlet cord. So Rahab agrees to both conditions. We read it in verse 21. Rahab says, good, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent the spies away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So they've sealed the deal. Spies are on their way. They've gone into the hills to, to, to hide out. Rahab's told them, look, here's where you go to hide out. Don't move. Stay there. And Rahab is alone. She's alone. I wonder what she's thinking. I wonder what she's feeling at this point. You know, did, did she know the spies would be gone for three days? 
Is she paranoid because she thinks others in that brothel are going to rat her out again? It happened once before, not too long ago. Maybe it's going to happen again. You know, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is Rahab is on her own. One author, he, he put it this way, this woman Rahab stood alone in faith against the total culture surrounding her. For a period of time, she stood for the unseen against the seen, standing in acute danger. She is in danger until Jericho fell. If the king had ever found out what she had done, he would have executed her immediately. So what happens? Well, to make a long story short, spies escape the enemy soldiers. They go back over across the Jordan to the Israelite camp. Because remember, Israel's on the Jordan, chomping at the bit, waiting to, to go. And they tell, their, they tell Joshua, they've got the green light. They've got good news. The Lord has delivered the land into their hands. Now think about this for a second. An entire nation, hundreds of thousands of people's faith was encouraged and emboldened to live out their part in the story all because of a conversation, all because a pagan prostitute housed two spies. That's amazing. Think of the courage and the risks. It's amazing. Rahab, what happened to her family? Well, the epilogue, rounding out the story here. Three days after the spies return, Israel gears up for battle. They cross over the Jordan River to Jericho. You might have heard the story of Jericho. Israel marches around the city six times. Nothing happens. They're blowing their trumpets. They're looking like idiots. Seventh day, they blow their trumpets. Same thing. Boom. Walls are down. Game on. They are conquering the land. Israel storms the city, but the spies remember their promise. The scarlet cord worked. So they find the house with the scarlet cord tied in the window. Rahab and her mom and her dad and her brothers and her sisters spared. They're spared. We fast forward a little bit in Joshua 6, verse 25. There's this, there's this interesting little verse because this, Joshua is telling the story of the conquest of the land. And Jericho is just one part of it. But there's this quick little verse here. It says this, Rahab, after her family was saved and it was all good, she was brought into the people of Israel, Rahab has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. That phrase, Rahab has lived in Israel to this day. What's that mean? Why is that important? Well, here's why I think it's important. You see, Israel's conquering Jericho. It wasn't the end for Rahab. It was just the beginning. It was just the beginning for Rahab. Let me show you what I mean. Again, fast forward to the New Testament. Matthew 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew goes through about 8,000 names. Uh, none of them make sense. But in verses 4 and 5, again, just a quick little line here. This is what it says. And Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Okay, so the book of Numbers, that's all about Israel getting ready for this battle with the Ammonite kings. They're preparing for war. They are now split up into 12 different tribes. Each tribe has a prince. They're heading up the tribe. Nashon was the prince of the tribe of Judah. Nashon had a son named Salmon. Salmon met a girl. Guess what the girl's name was? Rahab. Rahab married the son of the prince of Judah. I mean, that's amazing. A pagan prostitute, unclean, unfit, incorporated into the people of God, marries 
good stock. She's in a priestly line. This is royalty here. But it gets even better. It's the prince of Judah. You know who was in the line of the prince of Judah? It was Jesus. Rahab was an ancestor of Jesus. Matthew isn't the only New Testament author to reference Rahab. There's two other mentions. Hebrews, verse 11, not verse 11, chapter 11. The author is mentioning uh, heroes of the faith, so to speak. He called it the hall of faith. Rahab gets a shout out in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The book of James. James is all about how he's telling us how good works are always accompanied by authentic faith. If you have authentic faith, that means it will be seen by works. You don't have authentic faith, no works. Here's what he says, verse 25, chapter 2. Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You see, when Israel conquered Jericho, it wasn't the end for Rahab. It was just the beginning. You see, unbeknownst to Rahab, she could have no idea that the choices she made at that knock would have implications 3,400 years later. It's 2015 in Columbia, Missouri. We're doing a whole talk on Rahab. What? She had no idea the implications. Rahab's story is packed with lessons for us to learn today. Let's start with one. First lesson that we learn from Rahab's story. God's actions change lives. God's actions change lives. She didn't hide the spies because she read the book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. She didn't hide the spies because she read some catchy Twitter chat or some quote, inspirational. Those are fine. I read them. But that's not why she did it. Her life was changed because she heard about and believed in the living God. By faith, she heard and believed that God was actually at work in history, and it changed everything. It changed everything. Her behaviors were changed. She no longer was a prostitute. She gave it up. Her community changed. She was now brought into the people of God. I don't know about you, but this is true of my story. When I was in high school, you know what my label was? The pudgy athletic dork. That was me. You can laugh now. I'm fine. I'm all right. I hated it at the time, though. I hated it so much that when I came to college, I didn't consciously think this, but I wanted to do everything to get rid of that. I wanted to distance myself from that story. And for me, what that looked like was I got into the party scene. I started drinking. I didn't, nobody knew me. They didn't know that I was the athletic pudgy dork. And so I started partying. I started drinking. My junior year of college, first semester, I was going out four to five times a week. I was getting after it in a bad way. Four to five times a week. I had everything I wanted. If in high school you would have told me that was the life I lived, I would have said, yes, I got it. It didn't do it. I fell into a pretty good depression, deep depression. I wasn't happy. And then November 2005, I went downstairs for dinner. I will never forget it. Two girls walked in from dinner spoke. Said, hey, there's this trip to Jamaica. You should go. Okay, I'll go. Little did I know my life would be changed. On that trip, I heard about God's action in history. I didn't hear about the Exodus. I didn't hear about the Ammonite kings being defeated, but I heard about Jesus. 
I heard about Jesus. And when I got back, my life literally changed. My behaviors changed. A couple months later, I, I stopped drinking altogether. My community changed. You know, there were 90-ish guys in my house. Not one of them was an active walking Christian. Praise God that I met Kyle Richter on this trip. It was a farmhouse. I started hanging out with farmhouse. Five years later, people still think I'm a farmhouse. I'm not. But I hung out with him. Had people around me who encouraged me. I'm not saying you have to leave your fraternity or sorority. I'm saying you got to get a community. That's what I didn't have, and that's what I needed, and it's what happened. Two questions for us. Number one, have we heard about God's action in history? Have we heard it, really heard it and believed it? God parted the Red Sea. He gave Israel the promised land. Best of all, he sent his son to die on a cross, not only for our sins, not only to give us life, but to redeem the whole creation, all of it. Second, is that reality, is that changing us? Is that changing our life? Are we living our story out faithfully in light of God's action in history? Would somebody be able to look at our lives and say, you know, there's something different. There's something, I don't know what it is, but there's something different. Or are we just blending in? You know, we asked at the beginning, it's hard to make changes. What's going to change us? You know, it's not, it's not more self-discipline, though that can be good. It's not modeling our lives after other people, though role models are fine. It starts with looking at God's action in history because that's what changes our lives. Second lesson we learn from Rahab's story is that God wants outcasts. You ever felt like an outcast? You ever done something or not done something that you're ashamed of that you think disqualifies you? You say, Austin, if you only knew, I, I, can't, I can't go there because it's too painful. If you knew, you wouldn't look me in the eyes. Maybe you've cheated on a test. Maybe you're living a double life. Maybe you've sent inappropriate pictures of yourself to someone. Maybe you've asked someone to see inappropriate pictures. Whatever it is, however awful it is, you're wondering, you're asking, does God really want me? Does God want me? He couldn't know. I had a, I had a meeting with a woman a couple weeks ago. We'll, we'll call her Sarah. Came in and sat down, and you know I could tell she had a hard life. You ever kind of get that sense from people? Just look tired, worn down. We were talking a little bit, and she was sharing her story. Um, five months ago, she entered AA. She's a recovering alcoholic. She, she admitted uh, very courageously, took a lot of guts to do this, admitted she uh, was a sex addict, was a drug addict, and, and the most painful part for her, she looked me in the eyes, tears welling up, and said, I've had an abortion. Does God want me? Those are her exact words. I've had an abortion. Does God want me? She felt dirty. Sarah felt disqualified. She felt like an outcast. And you know what? Rahab felt and thought the same things. She was as much of an outcast, as much of a nobody as you could be. We feel like that a lot of times. And yet Rahab's story shows us that God wants outcasts. Psalm 147, verse 2. I love this verse. I memorize it. encourage you to do it. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. If you gather something, you got to go looking for it. You got you to search. God, in his mercy, saved Rahab. He put her in the line of Christ to show outcasts like Sarah, outcasts like you, outcasts like me, that he wants us. Last lesson we learn from Rahab's story, God calls us to trust him in less than ideal circumstances. 
what circumstances would you characterize as less than ideal? I, I know I could, we could have a laundry list here. We don't have enough time. I can think of a bunch. I bet you can think of a bunch. People you live with on your dorm floor, too weird, too antisocial. They party too much. They smoke too much weed. The culture of your fraternity or sorority house, you know, I understand the party culture. It just might be too much. It might be too hostile. You know, you get blasted for even mentioning you're a Christian. You have to sober drive actives that treat you like crap. You know, I remember my pledge semester, I had to drive a guy one time. It's pouring rain, slick out, and this guy sat in the back seat and literally slapped me in the face while I'm driving for 10 straight minutes. <laughs> Maybe it's your small group. You know, if you had an awesome small group in high school for four years, you had all these great memories, your best friends were there, you had all these awesome experiences, the inside jokes and all that, and you come to college and you got to meet new people, and they're different, and the leader's different, and you're not getting as much out of it. I get it. That's not ideal. I wouldn't write it for that, but you know what? That's kind of how it is sometimes. There's never going to be a time in our life when every circumstance is ideal. There will always be disappointments. The plan will always go wrong. The spies, supposed to be secret, eh, wrong. You got the, the king of Jericho searching them out. It failed. You know, I hate this cliche statement, but it's so true. The only constant is change. It's true. And yet, in the midst of these less than ideal circumstances, God's calling us to trust him. Spies' plan was supposed to remain secret. Word got out. When Rahab hid the spies, she risked death. She risked ostracism. And yet she remained faithful by hiding the spies. So, you know, just question, how is God calling us, you and I, to remain faithful, to trust him in these less than ideal circumstances? You know, a lot of you have housing decisions to make. Some of you are thinking, should I be an RA in the dorms? Maybe you go there because you have a chance to talk to more people about Jesus. Maybe you do that instead of getting an apartment off campus. Maybe that means that you and at least one friend, you commit to staying in your fraternity or sorority house. Don't do it alone. Get somebody and you just stay there. And yet you get to know people. And you slowly but surely, maybe you try and change the culture. I don't know. Maybe it means recommitting to a small group. No matter how awkward or weird it might feel, maybe you do that. I don't know. As the worship team comes back up, I want to go back to Rahab's interview with Oprah. Everybody's going to be leaving here now doing Oprah. You know, just picture it. They're both sitting on the stage. Cameras are rolling. The red light's on. Oprah asked Rahab, how'd you do it, Rahab? You know, it's the wrong question. Don't start there. You've got to start with the why. Why did she do it? Rahab changed her story because she heard and believed that God was acting in history. If and when we believe this, it will change our story. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have acted in history. You parted the Red Sea. You defeated the Ammonite kings. And you sent your son to die for us, for our sins, for the sins of the entire world. And you, you rose from the dead. And that's our hope. We are so thankful that you are acting in history, acting right now. God, we need help. We pray that you would help us to live 
our stories in light of that reality. Thank you, God, that you want outcasts, that you gather them. Help us to trust you in those less than ideal circumstances, whatever they be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.